Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin, and I am so grateful and honoured that you're here today. From my own journey with infertility and loss to becoming a mind-body practitioner and holistic fertility coach, it is my sincere hope that I can help make your journey to conceive lighter, more supported, and easier by sharing deep emotional well-being guidance, doable conception tips, and real talk about what infertility and loss looks like. I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's begin. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Warriors. We are sneaking in right at the end of PCOS Awareness Month with an episode all about PCOS, what are the myths, what are the misconceptions, where are we going wrong and it's my pleasure to welcome a fellow Aussie to the podcast again. It's like the year of having Aussies on the podcast. So I'm welcoming today Selene Douglas to the podcast. She is a nutritionist. She's an Australian. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and chat to you today. So you have clients not just with PCOS, but you are basically like the happy hormone nutritionist is one yeah. from what I can see. And I always have to ask this question at the beginning because we always get people who are like, People with infertility are always looking for people to add to their team. Amazing. But Mm -hmm. whenever we talk to professionals, I always have to ask, do you work with clients only in your state, only in Australia? Do you work with clients globally? Just explain to me how that works. Yeah, of course. So I do do uh, some local face-to-face appointments, but I do mostly online and I am Australia-wide NZ and I can also do US and UK too. Okay, so that's amazing and there's going to be so many people listening today who will probably be like, oh, that is really good to know. Um, You do also have like two online programs as well, is that right? Yeah, yep, that's right. So I have um, two online programs. One's a short one, so it's just three weeks and it's really all the foundations that I teach to my one-on-one clients. Um, So I've just popped that into a program and a lot of people start with that and then they come and see me one-on-one afterwards. So that one's called the 21 day reboot and it's really the basics and the foundations. And then I have another program as well called the hormone repair protocol. And that really steps women through the key foundations that we need in our diet and sort of lifestyle as well. Cause a lot of it is lifestyle around creating happy hormones. Mm, amazing and we'll talk a little bit more at the end about how people can find you but I thought I kind of wanted to start with that because that always sets the scene it gives people a really good idea of what you do so you would have clients with all like when we look at our hormones and I have this belief that we can't like a lot of the conditions that we have are a lot more similar in terms of how we can fix them Mm. rather like it you know it feels like all of these conditions are so different and they are but they're also a lot more similar I feel than we realize 100% I completely agree with that I haven't had anyone actually term it quite like you did there but it's so true that you know whilst there might be some differences there is a lot of similarities particularly with the lifestyle sort of foundations um yeah there's just there is a lot of crossover for sure so this week is this month is PCOS Awareness Month. And we were actually talking just yesterday. We were talking about, you know, when you have clients coming into the clinic and also frustrations, I guess, with 
some of the things that happen in the medical world. Uh, and we're talking all today about some mm-hmm. myths and misconceptions that you see in your practice. What are some of the things that just need to be, you know, probably better aware about or that we can use to help ourselves on our journey? Yeah, I think there's so many, but I would say the one I want to start with is really around the diagnosis of PCOS um, because that has changed a little bit. And there is also, uh, I guess, some differences in um, the handling of PCOS with, say, a functional medicine practitioner or a naturopath or a nutritionist versus uh, how a GP or a doctor would handle PCOS. And so I think that creates a lot of confusion for women because they're getting two uh, pieces of really different advice and not really too sure how to piece this all together. So I think the one I want to start with is around um, PCOS not being able to be diagnosed through an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really commonly, I'll have a client come to me with symptoms and maybe they've started to explore their symptoms a little bit, maybe been to a GP who's referred them for an ultrasound and they'll say, well, they said I have polycystic ovaries. And I sort of say, okay, well, you know, what sort of testing did you do with that? Can you pass these on to me? And what we find is that uh, on an ultrasound, they found that that woman had polycystic ovaries, but didn't do any further testing to look at, you know, her androgen levels, like her testosterone levels or her um, insulin levels or anything like that. We're not investigating any further. And so that woman is now walking around with this label on her head, like I've got PCOS and she might, but she also might not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we can have many different, um, any woman can have lots of follicles um, at any given time that will show up on an ultrasound, irrespective of whether she has PCOS or not. So they're just immature follicles that have not yet developed. Uh, and yes, you can have PCOS if you have those, but you also might not. And yes. so I think that is really confusing in the name itself. And also just, um, I guess, a problem with women walking around with that label, then maybe starting to Google it and freak out. Right. And we've all heard of PCOS, but not many people have heard of polycystic ovaries. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that and, you know, perhaps the name sort of needs to Mm -hmm. change or it needs a better definition around how we're diagnosing that. And you touched on probably my biggest bugbear, which is when doctors are stingy on tests. I don't oh my know gosh. I know that word stingy, but like, I don't even know what, how, what, what other word. But it's, it's like, oh. I would say it is my biggest pet peeve in clinic because, you know, someone, and just also the, I guess the, the bedside matter and lack of respect that some women are treated with when they go and see their GP and look, don't get me wrong. There are some incredible doctors out there. uh, And a lot of women that I have, I send them to doctors. I know that I have relationships with, and yes, they have great experiences, but some are having really terrible experiences and they're going there with these symptoms, wanting to get answers and asking for, you know, I want to work collaborative with you with, collaboratively with you in conjunction with my nutritionist and get these tests Mm -hmm. so I can understand what's going on with my health and they're dismissed they're sometimes laughed at um and belittled and it's just I I think it's well it's really unprofessional and it's also horrible as well to see 
women being treated like that, anyone being treated like that, but particularly women. And often, you know, the only option that a woman, a woman with PCOS is being given is like go on the some kind of hormonal birth control, like the pill, if you're not wanting to fall pregnant. And then if you are, then, you know, going straight to something like IVF is your best option. And that's just not true. That's not the answer, right? There's lots of different things that we can do for PCOS. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredibly frustrating and sad, I think, to see that. So do you see often people who have maybe spent like years not feeling right and feeling like they have had no real answers anywhere and then coming to you as, I guess, a bit of a last-ditch effort? Yeah, I do. And the other thing that I have noticed more recently is because I have been getting a lot more IVF clients, I do get some referrals through other practitioners and things like that. And I get quite, I guess, frustrated when I've been able to identify something really obvious that's going on for that woman. Like maybe she does have insulin resistance and PCOS and that's obviously a really big part of what's impacting that ovulation and fertility. And she's been sent straight to IVF and not given any kind of further education or investigating that any further. And that for me is makes my blood boil because I feel like there's so much that can be done before we get to that point. And um, at least in Australia, we have both government run and private IVF clinics, but it, it's just really frustrating to see that something like that is becoming a business, you know, like mm. it's just um, part of it is a huge money-making um, thing, which is really, really sad for a lot of women that might not need to end up there, that there's a lot that we can look at doing prior to that. Um, so that's something I find really frustrating. And then I think the other huge one with PCOS is that women think that they need to be overweight or have insulin resistance in order to have PCOS. So this is probably the, the biggest misconception and thorn in my side around oh. PCOS because you could have someone coming to me with this collection of symptoms. And of course, it's not up to me to actually diagnose anything like that. I need to refer them to a GP, get some more tests. And it's really up to the GP to diagnose that or a gynecologist. And there may be a lean, a lean woman, but I can tell from her dietary intake and some of her symptoms that, yeah, look, it might be PCOS. It's possibly insulin resistant driven PCOS, but let's get some more tests. And her doctor might look at her and say, you're, you're completely fine. You're not overweight at all. So it, it definitely couldn't be insulin resistance. Like not at all. It's not PCOS. And they're sort of just dismissed. Um, and just recently had a story like that. And this woman had acne all over her face. So a 30 year old woman, she developed acne all over her face. Her cycles had become really irregular. So she was having sometimes 40, 45 day cycles, then back to 14 days apart. So very irregular. And so we wanted to get some more answers and she's quite lean eats a lot, ate a lot of sugar, a lot of carbohydrate and a lot of refined carbohydrates. And because she was, you know, quite lean and athletic, that um, doctor just told her to get some more new face wash to clear up her acne and told her that her acne wasn't that bad. Oh, which... <laughs> feel it in yourself. Like if you're looking in the mirror and you're feeling it, then that's enough for it to be, that, that it should be taken yeah. seriously. So what? So I love that we're talking about insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. What 
And I love that we're talking also about eating a lot of carbs. So does that mean that the way for us to manage our PCOS is just to cut out carbs? No, not entirely. I think it depends. Um, And I would say like, no, we don't ever want to totally cut out carbs. I would nearly never recommend something extreme like keto to a woman of reproductive age. That's just not a suitable approach. It's too extreme and it will sort of cause secondary hormone imbalances. If you look at doing something like that in most cases, there's really, I think the first step is looking at, well, is insulin actually driving PCOS for you or is it more adrenal. So we can look at testing testosterone levels and also something called DHEAS. And DHEAS, if that's elevated, that's going to be more adrenal driven. So we're definitely not wanting to look at reducing carbohydrates in that instant. We're really wanting to look at what's maybe causing stress for that person, if they've got any chronic inflammation, if there's any secondary conditions. And pulling out carbohydrates, particularly if they are a female who's been dieting chronically or already calorie counting and doing that kind of thing, that is going to be so much more harmful for them. Mm. Like just leave the carbs in, you know, especially if they're good carbohydrates, like sweet potato, potato, fruits, that's fine. You need to be eating those, right? Um, Someone that has confirmed um, insulin resistance, yes, we need to have a conversation about carbohydrates for sure, but it doesn't need we're not doing anything extreme. We're not saying, yeah, you need to eat, you need to go keto and eat under 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. Um, that's not, not the right approach. Because I feel this is where I feel like sometimes we also go wrong inadvertently. So mm. everything I do is like, you know, so focused on stress, stress in our body, yes. how that manifests. And uh, when we so often are told perhaps you have PCOS and your BMI, whatever, is 30, it needs to be 25 to come back, like calories in, calories out. And then mm. all of a sudden we cut out carbs and we quite dramatically reduce our calorie intake. Mm. And you're all about happy hormones and in my like for me I'm like whoa I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes it worse when we start to really calorie restrict yeah definitely I think it, the first thing is I think with something like that you do need to get sort of professional advice around that as well because a lot of women with PCOS might have secondary conditions as well like there might be a thyroid thing going on as well we need to take all these different factors into consideration it might not be just insulin resistance that we're looking at but Mm -hmm. say for example we might look at that person's diet in entirety and see that across the day they're having and I'm not saying these foods are bad or anything like that but just as an example (laughs) we always need to disclaim they're having (laughs) I know they're having like oats or toast and butter or something for breakfast with a glass of juice. And then maybe they're getting hungry a couple of hours later because there's no proteins and fats in there. It's not going to keep you full. And so two or three hours later, they're wanting a snack and maybe they have a muesli bar or something like that, that has lots of dried fruits in there. So yes, those two things are already quite high in carbohydrate and we've got little of anything else there in terms of our other macronutrients And then for lunch, maybe we're having a sandwich. So we've got two slices of bread, which are again, more carbohydrates. And maybe it's just a salad sandwich or 
you know, in a sandwich, there's very little protein that you can actually manage to fit into something like that anyway, right? So maybe you have, I don't know, a slice of ham or something like that. And then, you know, the afternoon rolls around and of course you're hungry again because that's not going to sustain you either. And so you're going for something like a bliss ball or something that's got lots of dates in it. So again, more dried fruits. And then maybe for dinner, you're having, uh, I don't know, like a pasta dish or something like that. It's quite common to see someone eating like that. And it's not necessarily someone that's going out and eating macas every day or anything like that. Like someone might be eating that way and explain that their diet's actually really quite good overall. I feel like I'm relatively healthy. They might also be quite active. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so hearing that they might have insulin resistance is like, what, how, what do you mean? And so we can make really small tweaks um, without necessarily changing calorie intake. So it's not necessarily about changing the quantity or the um, the amount of calories that you're eating across the day, but can we make some tweaks to control your blood sugar better and actually start to reverse that insulin resistance? So, you know, a gr- the best place to start, I think, is always breakfast because mm-hmm. if you're having proteins and fats for breakfast, you're going to feel full, you're going to get more longevity out of your meal and it's going to end up hopefully taking you through to lunchtime without maybe needing a snack. Yeah. Uh, and most people find that, you know, starting with something like that is a really good place to start. And then over time, we can start to work on those other meals and just changing that macronutrient composition so that you're still eating a really filling, satiating meal. But in proportion, we're balancing out some of those macronutrients a little bit better. So you still have some carbohydrate in there. Um, It's definitely not completely gone, but it's definitely going to be lower than what you were previously eating. And we're going to increase those fats and proteins and that's going to do wonders for your blood sugar. So are you able to give me some examples of what like a balanced macronutrient breakfast might look like? Yeah, definitely. So a uh, concept I teach my clients is around um, build your plate. So this is one of the foundational things I teach all of them because I think it's really important to understand this. Um, but say, for example, if you like having eggs for breakfast for a female and this is just a general female of course it's going to change um depending on your size and workouts and everything but for example you might be doing uh, three scrambled eggs that's your serve of protein and you've got a little bit of healthy fats in there too and then um you could do some leftover roast veggies so you could be doing around um sort of ideally around two cups or so of like leftover broccoli, carrot, mushrooms, spinach, all those sorts of things. Uh, And then we're adding in some complex carbohydrates. So you might do roughly half a cup. These are just eyeball measurements. I do not ever want anyone measuring these out. Okay. These are just literally, so you have a conceptual idea about how these fit into the plate, right? So roughly half a cup or a fistful or whatever of um, sweet potato or potato. And then I would add some more healthy fats to that. So maybe you're adding like half an avocado or something like that. That's a really nice rounded balanced meal. You've got fiber from all those non-starchy veggies. You've got proteins and fats and you've got some carbohydrate, but that's going to act really differently in your blood than having a bowl of oats on their own or having, you know, two pieces of toast or something like that, right? It's going to be very different because you've got the proteins and fats in there to really stabilize um, that blood sugar response. Yeah, I love that. 
And what are so when you have clients, you know, so you've mentioned that clients are coming in, they're eating what on the surface looks to be a really healthy diet. And then, you know, we they could probably come in and we could build their plate a little bit differently. Um, what are some of the other things that you see when you have clients come to you with PCOS or about to be diagnosed with PCOS that whether it's through social media or whatever, we've just kind of got it wrong a little bit? Um, I guess with dietary things as well, there's some really interesting uh, things out there. I saw a meme the other day actually that told women with PCOS to remove red meat from their diet, which I thought was really strange. I was very confused about that. Um, I think as well, just coming back to that carbohydrate conversation, like a lot of women think they need to completely eradicate carbohydrates and fruits and potato and sweet potato from their diet. And, you know, if someone is Googling their symptoms, thinks they have PCOS, but also hasn't been tested. If they do have something like adrenal PCOS and they don't have an issue with insulin, like that's very harmful for them or potentially, um, you know, they have hypothalamic amenorrhea, like they don't even have PCOS at all, right? Like there's a lot of crossover, I think, in symptoms um, with other conditions. And so I think getting a diagnosis is really key. Uh, and I guess as well with PCOS, and I know that, yes, technically there's no, uh, there's no uh, solution or cure per se for PCOS, right? Um, but there is a lot of information out there about there not being a cure. And so I think that can be really disempowering for women because they feel like, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it right now. I'm doomed to have fertility issues and all of these symptoms, like that's just my life now. I'm just going to, that's it. There's nothing I can do. And I think that that is really unhelpful. Whilst there's technically no cure, you can reverse all of the symptoms. And so technically you're in a position then when you're not fitting the diagnosis criteria, yeah, technically you might still have PCOS, but uh, it's environment driven, right? So if you were to return to that, um, those things you are previously doing, eating um, lots of refined carbohydrates and really stressed and whatever the other environment environmental triggers are that got you there, um, then yes, you might revert back to expressing those symptoms of PCOS. But I think that it's really important to know that there's so much you can actually do to resolve all of those symptoms and actually get your body into a place where you're no longer expressing those anymore. Ah, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to quickly jump in and express how grateful I am that you're here today. Just to let you know that if you'd like more emotional well-being, resilience and conception tips to check out my programs and services, you can find me on my website at robinburken.com or on Instagram at robinburken. All right, let's get back to it. Is there like, are there, so a lot of people like associate, for example, carbs with PCOS and insulin resistance when you have people come to your clinic are there any times when you're like girl you're missing like this huge area of your lifestyle that is contributing to PCOS or you know contributing to the symptoms that you have yeah or in terms of lifestyle rather than diet you mean well, let's include a diet lifestyle all in one bundle. Anything that like people just are not prioritizing or aren't aware of 
that is actually a big, you know, a contributing factor. I think stress is a really big one. Funny fitting because we had this huge conversation about (laughs) stress yesterday. Yeah. But I think with like you, you know, coming, bring this back to what you talked about at the start of the podcast and there being so much crossover and what we're actually doing for different conditions. I think stress is huge and the more stress you are, the worse blood sugar control you're going to have, right? Like it is really all interconnected. And I think in the same vein of what we talked about yesterday, we are all just living such air quotes, busy lifestyles these days. We have a lot on our plates, right? And then all of a sudden having PCOS just becomes another thing that you have to deal with. Mm. And I think as women, a generalization maybe, but we are often doing a lot of things for other people and people pleasing and wanting to be the good and the best at everything and for everyone, right? And um, we're really missing a lot of that true self-care sort of activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, stress in terms of our lifestyle is a huge factor. And then I think there's also forms of physical stress as well. I think, you know, for a lot of women, uh, over-exercising can be a huge part of it. They might still be insulin resistant, irrespective of the fact that they're over-exercising, right? But I think uh, there's a big issue with um uh, going to say it but places like f45 and things like that who are just getting women to train in a way that's like hard fast all the time multiple times a day doing challenges restricting calories all of these things like that is just not what our physiology is designed for and we have ebbs and flows across our menstrual cycle and our training really needs to reflect that um but a lot of places don't uh don't cater for that right there's and there's this chat tiktok challenge the name escapes me that's really popular at the moment that says you have to do two hours of exercise per day and i'm like that's a lot yeah no 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 and yeah i think that and and just in that sort of conversation there's just a general uh sense that we've very uh out of tune with what our body is telling us, right? Because for most women, when they're about to get their menstrual cycle, the last thing they feel like doing is going to F45 and doing a couple of hit sessions, but that's just what we're meant to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some it's almost like sometimes we're made to fit into a world that is not designed for what, you know, the intricacies of a woman's body. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it is, look, it is changing. I think there's a lot more conversation around that nowadays than there ever has been before. Certainly when I was growing up, I don't remember there being anything, any conversations like that happening, but I still think it has a long way to go. And, and yeah, I think that in terms of the exercise side of things, that that's an area that does really need to change because we're not meant to go hard and fast all the time. There's certain times in our cycle where that might really suit us really well, but there are other times when that's really not going to be of service at all uh, and our body's not really going to respond very well to that. Are you able to talk to us a little bit more? I Just as I was recording this, I was like, hang on a second, maybe let's just take a step back. <laughs> and I all, you know, we always talk when we talk about PCOS about like androgens and, you know, is it adrenal or is it insulin resistance? And I was just thinking then, 
does everyone even know, you know, like what androgens are? And, you know, and when we're talking about stress as well and our adrenals, let's just have a minute maybe to take a step back and ex- actually explain to everyone if we can yeah. what are androgens how is your adrenal somehow related to your ovaries like how, can we do a bit of a connection to get everyone to be leave this podcast feeling like got it yes yes definitely so um with PCOS we uh have one of two, generally one of two, it can be both, but generally one of two androgens that are going to be elevated. Um, now, one is testosterone and the other one is DHEAS, which yep. is produced in the adrenal glands. So the adrenal glands are the two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys mm-hmm. and they produce your stress hormones. So that would be cortisol, um, adrenaline. They also produce DHEAS, which is sort of a precursor that will go on to become um, other types of hormones as well. Yeah. Um, but when we are uh, stressed, we're going to be overproducing that hormone and that's to um, help buffer the uh, impact of cortisol in our system because cortisol is one of our stress hormones and that's going to be elevated when we're chronically stressed. Like this is not the kind of stress that's like, oh, there's a car coming, I need to jump out of the way or, oh my gosh, I haven't sent that email. It's like the... Um, I hate my life kind of stress or my work is really stressful or I'm overtraining all the time and not eating enough, then that uh, DHEAS is going to be elevated in order to buffer the effect of cortisol because cortisol can wreak havoc in our immune system. Um, Lots of different things cortisol can do and some other things we might see with um, women in that fall into that camp would be uh, perhaps difficulties with sleep, um, feeling really groggy in the morning and then maybe getting a, um, a sort of second wind later in the day. So they've sort of got a bit of disruption in when their cortisol is highest across the day. So there are other things you might notice. Um, sometimes weight changes as well will accompany that. Um, and then more so the, um, the testosterone side of things. So Generally, when someone's explaining this, I always hear that, you know, the androgens are the male hormones, but we also are meant to make them anyway. So I think they're just the hormones. The hormones. The hormones. Yeah. Like they're not male hormones. So are androgens like a word for sex hormones or like stress? Yeah. Well, they're technically like male sex hormones. Gotcha. Yeah, but we're meant to make some anyway. Like your testosterone is meant to spike around ovulation so that you increase your libido. Like that's natural and meant to happen. It's just that in women with PCOS, it's far too high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so So let's just, so one type is where we have this elevated DHEAS to combat stress like cortisol in our body cortisol can yeah. come from emotional sources mm-hmm. working too much it can also come from physical sources over exercising under eating and all that so sometimes we does that by that does that mean that we can have pcos that is driven by dhes and then we can be like no fuck this i'm gonna under eat and then just inadvertently make it a little bit worse Yeah, definitely. Like, so, so many different scenarios, I guess, that could happen in that instant. Like you might 
Google all your symptoms and go, I've got, that's it. I've got PCOS. And you might think, and then you might come find some information that says the best way to reverse PCOS is to move more and eat less. And then you might start doing that. And yes, inadvertently make it worse equally. You might um, get some poor information about that diagnosis that tells you that, you know, that the best thing to do is to lose weight or whatever it is. Um, equally other information that's often given about lean PCOS, which is, um, like there was nothing we can do, sorry. Um, which is just so like, we can do so much better than that. We know so much more about how the body works now and what some of those root causes might be. It's just, it's not good enough to say that there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Um, and so that's what you generally see. We, you know, so that DH, the elevated DHES is probably what you'll see a lot of the time with that those people who have what is termed lean PCOS. Yep. So the other type of PCOS, so both are categorised by high androgens, either DHEAS or testosterone. Mm-hmm. So is testosterone-related PCOS like as a result of stress as well? It's just that the body's gone, well, testosterone... It's usually as a result of insulin. So the insulin resistance is usually the first thing that's starting to form. And that, so insulin um, might be a bit basic, I don't know for some listeners, but insulin's the hormone released by your pancreas whenever we've got carbohydrates coming in through the diet. And so carbohydrates can be, and of course I understand these are completely different, but could be anything from, you know, ice cream and fruits and lollies to breads, pastas, rice, cereals, oats, all of those sorts of different things fall under carbohydrates. So basically um, insulin resistance is uh, what happens over a period of time when we have too many of those foods coming in through the diet for what our body can handle. So our individual tolerance Uh, and insulin's role is when that um, food is coming in, it gets turned into glucose, so sugar in the bloodstream, and insulin needs to unlock the cells to allow that uh, glucose into the cells because it can't stay in the bloodstream or it will actually start to damage the inside of the blood vessels. So insulin's there to unlock the cells, um, and basically what happens is over time, you've got too much more than you can handle coming in through the diet, and the cells are saying, like, we can't take on any more, we're tanked now, we are full. There's no more room in here. We've got, there's no capacity for any more glucose. Okay. But the body's going, but hang on, there's still more coming in through the diet. We need somewhere to store it. And so it's a bit like your body is going, well, maybe if I just pump out more and more insulin, someone will have the right key to unlock these cells and we can let that glucose in. But unfortunately that doesn't happen. And that's how we're actually starting to pick up that elevated insulin on um, a blood test. And then the other thing that happens with um, high insulin is that it decreases another hormone that we have called sex hormone binding globulin. Mm -hmm. And that normally binds up um, excess testosterone that we don't need. So high insulin lowers that sex hormone binding globulin. So it actually makes or perpetuates those effects of high testosterone as well. So we have sort of lose our ability to regulate that. And that's when we start to see those symptoms arising that you might notice that you get hair growth around the jawline, um, stomach, or you might notice that you're getting acne, um, acne on the chest or the back and those irregular menstrual cycles as well. So is that, so is our insulin resistance primarily or solely caused by eating, like just having too much, I guess, sugar or glucose in our system? 
yeah then we can tolerate yeah then we can tolerate yeah yeah Yeah. and so like you know depending on genetic factors and also lifestyle factors so how stressed we are what kind of training we're doing like are we doing hit or resistance training how much muscle mass we have on board like you and I might have very different lifestyles might train really differently and so we can individually tolerate really different amounts of carbohydrate and so it is sort of your unique set point uh and i think the other sort of misconception there is that uh having insulin resistance which i know insulin resistance is the precursor of diabetes right but i think there's a bit of uh, i guess stigma around the term insulin resistance like having that means i'm going to get diabetes or something mm-hmm. like that it's no, not at all. I mean, insulin resistance means that your body's having a hard time regulating its blood sugar levels and it's tipped slightly too far one way. We just need to make some changes in your diet to bring it back and so that your body can actually start to regulate that blood sugar effectively yeah. again, right? It does not mean as long as you make those changes to your environment, it does not mean you're going to end up with a diabetes diagnosis. Yeah. And likewise, you know, I think as we discussed before it doesn't necessarily mean eating no carbs oh for sure so for sure our body needs surely some sugar yeah definitely and and there's also like our different types so you know it's all very individual Mm -hmm. um someone might be someone might be eating all um, healthy forms of carbohydrates but maybe they're just eating a lot of um dried fruits and things like that. Like they're really easy things we can look at tweaking, right? That's a low, like a low hanging fruit, pardon the pun, and something we can look at changing really easily. Um, Whereas someone might be eating relatively healthy, but they're, I don't know, having multiple glasses of juice across the day or something like that. Like it's going to look really different for everyone, what we're looking to change. So Uh, yeah, it is so individual and equally someone someone might have a really unhealthy diet and that's okay too. Um, But we need to, you know, work with that person and look at what we can change feasibly. And and it is a bit of a negotiation process as well. Oh, you've shared so much goodness with us today, Selene. Before we do the speed round, um, are you able to tell us a little bit more? So you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you work with people in Australia, New Zealand, UK and US, but you also have some courses that I would assume are global. Um, if anyone wants to find you, listen to more, um, follow you, how can they do that? Where can they find you? Absolutely. So I'm most active on Instagram and my handle there is uh, Douglas underscore nutrition. And then my online home, my website is just my name. So selendouglas.com. And you can find out there um, about, you know, the different programs and service offerings and things like that. And equally, you can get in touch with me there if you prefer to. Um, And your clients, I mean, so obviously everyone listening to this is someone who is trying to conceive. You would have people who are trying to conceive right through to, I don't know, maybe people even who are going through menopause. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my demographic and sort of, I guess, lifespan of women is quite unique because I do get women often from sort of the start of their menstrual years right through to the end. Um, but increasing over the last, I'd say 12 months or so has really been preconception, pregnancy and postpartum. 
Mm-hmm. And yep. I love that area of uh, clinic so much because it's very, very special to be part of someone's journey uh, of conceiving. Very, very, very special, as you would know. It's, um, yeah, you know, there's your lots of emotions that you go through with someone over um, that sort of snippet of their life. And so I love being part of that. And then equally, once they are pregnant, it's incredible to be able to help them continue optimizing their health through that pregnancy journey, because that's another area where there's lots of myths, I guess, issues with how our system is set up and not screening women for certain things. Anyway, that could be another podcast. Um, Yes. So that, and then, you know, postpartum as well, it's great to be able to look at how we can restore all those nutrients postpartum. So that's sort of my growing client base at the moment. And I love that, particularly when I have women that I see right through. It's full really circle. Great. Yeah, that would yeah. be such a full circle moment. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Everybody go and follow Celine. Go and look at her website. She has some delicious recipes there as well. And you also have a podcast. So we'll include the show notes for that as well. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. You ready for a speed round? I am. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So three easy questions that we ask everyone. The first is, do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? Well, they change all the time, but my favorite one at the moment is what got you here won't get you there. Oh, I love that one. I've used that one many times. (laughs) Do you have a book like, so it doesn't have to be fertility or hormone related, or it can be if you want, but just a book that you recommend everyone reads. The Alchemist. Oh, I love not it. many people have talked about the Alchemist and I'll be honest, I know about it, but I haven't read it myself. It's I, great. It's amazing. Are you, are you able to give us, you know, like a one paragraph summary of what it is about? Oh, I wouldn't be able to give you word for word, but basically it's about uh, chasing your dreams and never giving up on the hope that they will come true. Yeah. And it's a summary. beautiful little story. It's great. I love it. And to finish us off, if you had just one message or thing that you could shout from the rooftops that you wish every woman would know, what would that be? Well, I think this one's relevant to this podcast would be that your symptoms are not, uh, are valid. Your symptoms are valid and it's not all in your head. Mm, I love that. And it's so true. Such a perfect one to end our podcast on. Celine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for chatting all things PCOS with us. And I know that it will be really helpful to so many people who have listened. Thanks so much for having me. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Fertility Warriors. We'll meet you again same time next week. Before you go, though, if you do need some further support, then we encourage you to come and join us at the Mind Body Fertility Reset, the ultimate community for anyone who would like to conquer stress and fuel their fertility. In the Mind Body Fertility Reset, we focus on some of the big pillars to fertility awesomeness. That is community and support, having community there to lift you up and to carry you through your hard times sustainable and small steps lifestyle support helping you conquer your diet goals your movement goals cut out toxins and enjoy food and becoming your best and healthiest self in a small steps and sustainable way and lastly and what i think is most importantly emotional well-being 
Infertility and trying to conceive can be an incredibly hard journey. And it's really hard when we haven't learnt the skills through school and through other avenues to help support ourselves through really hard times. So in the Mind Body Fertility Reset community, we go through all of these things to help you become your best and healthiest self and thrive despite this journey. To find out more, visit us at robinburkin.com slash mindbodyfertilityreset. And lastly, we need to let you know that any of the information contained in this podcast is for inspirational and educational purposes only. It doesn't substitute advice from a qualified medical professional or mental health expert. Please know that there is no shame ever in getting more help when you need it and to always consult with your medical professional before taking on any changes to your journey. Wishing you all the best and cannot wait to catch you next week. Bye.